I've been reading this week through the Gospels, the life of Jesus, and um, you know, the passages that we use year after year for Advent uh, make sense as a part of a full story. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas carols is, Oh, sing a song of Bethlehem. And it goes on like that, but every verse moves geographically. So the next verse is, Oh, sing a song of Galilee. And you eventually get to, Oh, sing a song of Calvary. Because it's, it's one story. And this time of year, we're just focusing on a piece of it. But it always makes sense to read the whole while we're in the middle of it. And so this morning, I'm going to start by reading a passage from the gospel that isn't a typical Advent passage, and maybe it will make sense somewhere down the road. I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. This is Luke 19, starting in verse 28. Luke 19, 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. He went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. All of this is context for these next few verses. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Remembering anything is difficult for me. Uh, you know, as a as a population, we have invented all kinds of ways to help us remember things. Some people tie strings around their fingers. You put post-it notes all over your computer. I've always wondered about that idea of post-it notes on the computer screen, how that helps the computer function, but I'll leave that aside. Uh, we have um, buzzers on our wristwatches now to tell us to remember to do things. I have a buzzer on my watch that tells me if I haven't gotten off my desk chair in 60 minutes, it says like stand up and move 
because if I don't do that, then my knees will ache very soon. Um, we have Google Calendar alerts that pop up so that we know 10 minutes before we're supposed to be somewhere. I mean, we have invested a lot of time in helping us remember. And I have to confess that here at the beginning of Advent, and I do this every year, but once again it's happening, I'm struggling with the kind of holiday I'm about to observe. I enter the same, I don't know what you call it, a period of self-loathing maybe, every year right about now. And the reason I'm in anguish is this. Every year, I end the season by feeling frustrated with myself for giving in or for giving up. The social pressures are just too great, the culture is just too strong. I want to, I intend to simplify, but everyone around me is conspiring to greater busyness and increased hecticness. I want more time for prayer and meditation, seems like I get less than usual. I want to spend less, I always end up spending too much. I want to spend more time with my family, but they're all feeling the demands of everything else, and I end up spending less time with my family. And I feel, I feel like I'm slowly losing something that I treasure and don't know how to get it back. You know, it's sort of like trying to hold water in your cupped hands and you just sort of watch it slowly slip away and you, you can't clench your fingers together tight enough to hold that water in there. And I wonder, is it really hopeless to try to get those things? It may be that I'm just not strong enough to seize or to create what I want. Or it may also be that because what I want out of Christmas isn't exactly in tune with the event I'm supposed to be observing. It may be that my expectations are out of whack with the reality of what it means to observe Advent and Christmas. Maybe, maybe the reason that things seem so out of balance to me is that my observance and my goals no longer reflect what it's supposed to, this season, bring to mind. I mean, it would make sense on Mother's Day to celebrate by having all the mothers cook their family's favorite meal. I mean, that's not how we celebrate Mother's Day. It would make sense to honor our veterans on Veterans Day by closing all the VA hospitals for the day. I mean, it would make sense on uh, Labor Day to add an extra hour of work to the week of all laborers. That's not how you do any of those holidays. It just would, it wouldn't make any sense. And so I'm wondering, is there a basic disconnect between what I want out of Christmas and what the holiday seems to be calling me to do or be in order to remember its roots? Perhaps I have forgotten what these holidays are supposed to call to mind. Maybe I need to remember again the actual nature of what really happened. If you remember back to the story, if you go to the Gospel of Luke and you read about the birth of John the Baptist before Jesus arrives, this is Luke 1, the 76th verse, 
John's father, Zechariah, prophesies some things about John. This is some of what he says about his son, John, who's Jesus' cousin. And you, John, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet on the path of peace. Advent is someone is coming. He will be our salvation and will guide our feet on the pathway of peace. And based on this prophecy and the prophecies that came before, what, before that, someone with a capital S does come, right? That's what this is about. Someone in fulfillment of these prophecies come. And when John describes this event, this is what John says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. When J.B. Phillips renders Genesis 1, he uses this very interesting phrase. He says, in the beginning, God expressed himself. I love that phrase. God expressed himself. God created. It was the natural outflowing of his character and being. The world as we know it is God's personal self-expression. He is the structure that holds it together. Just as the fingerprints of any sculptor is all over the clay, the fingerprints of Jesus is all over this creation everywhere we look. And now as a part of his creative plan, Jesus is going to show himself. He's going to let us see what the creator looks like. John tells us no one has ever seen God, but the begotten one, his son, has made him known to us. Jesus is coming to earth to let us know what God looks like. He's coming to bless us. He's coming to offer us restoration and forgiveness. His coming is the gift of Christmas. That's what the gift of Christmas is. His coming is the gift of Christmas. God is expressing himself once again, creating a whole new world order symbolized in that communion meal where we see the gifts of Christ for the people of Christ, that we might be one with him, a part of his eternal kingdom. So when he arrives in Bethlehem, God is expressing himself. So, so what is the nature of the Bethlehem event? 
I mean, the Bethlehem event is nothing like, in many ways, the birth of children today. I mean, there's no hospital. There's no reveal parties where the blue bloom pops out of the box or the pink. There's none of that stuff. We understand the nature of the Bethlehem event by reading Philippians 2, right? Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. What is the Bethlehem event like? It is abject humility. It is condescension. That's what we're commemorating. The self-emptying of Jesus. Jesus empties himself of royal privilege, his status. At some level, we don't see his full identity. He is hidden himself in human flesh. And so we don't even get to see him for all that he is. He's self-emptied. Now, if there ever is a concept that is foreign to us, it is self-emptying. We don't do that very well, even those of us who value the concept. Society in general just thinks that notion, self-emptying, is stupidity or foolishness. What strikes me about this passage, though, is that it's not just about Jesus' self-emptying. There are others involved in the self-emptying. I mean, the description of John the Baptist's ministry, I mean, you know who John the Baptist was, right? Prophet from the wilderness, wore funny clothes, ate funny food, made the Jews angry, eventually lost his head. I mean, this isn't someone who came out to, uh, uh, you know, esteem himself. This is another example of the self-emptying that the disciples of Christ embrace. This is John who's a man consumed with a mission. No one would call him self-indulgent. And, and as I look at John and I look at Jesus, I ask the question, if the method of the master is selflessness, if the master's plan for himself is self-emptying, is it possible that it is the same for us, his disciples? If you wrestle with that thought for a while, if, if self-emptying is our model, um, there are other passages that will quickly come to mind as you consider. You'll remember Jesus' words to the rich young ruler. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Or, or those who wanted to seek to follow him. If anyone wants to follow me, well, deny yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow me. Or what did he say to the mountains, uh, the population seated on the mountains when he's teaching? He says, if someone requires your cloak, give him your tunic also. I mean, it shouldn't be news to us, those who have read the Gospels, that Jesus' mission to earth was not about self-fulfillment or self-actualization, but that his mission to earth is about self-emptying 
for a reason, for a purpose. Jesus isn't on a sightseeing mission to the Middle East. The author of Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This amazing being, the one who created all that we know, the one who sustains the universe by his powerful word, Jesus the Christ, divested himself of the throne, left heaven, left his father, became one of us. Peterson says in his translation, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Wesley wrote it even better. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. So if all this is true, and it is, how do you celebrate a grand self-emptying? How do you celebrate the most selfless event in all of human history? Is there anything about our current celebrations or expectations of the season that really looks like self-emptying? I think if we're really going to know the peace that is supposed to be a central aspect of the celebration of the season, that the price of peace is self-emptying. I need a celebration that asks me to give something of myself, something that models Jesus's self-expression. He came to be with us. He moved into the neighborhood with us. He invested his life in us. And if I'm going to model that, I need something that looks like that for Christmas. Something that will make a difference in the lives of others. I guess you could make the argument that by giving presents that you can't afford, you are self-emptying. But I think that's really bank account emptying, not self-emptying. I wonder though, if we've really taught our children anything when all the giving comes from us and all the receiving is indulged by them. And I think this is where the job gets tough. I mean, how do I invite my friends and my family into a celebration of Christmas that is self-emptying for all of us? How do I help them learn what Christmas is all really about. What, what task, what self-expression is needed to really remember the things that we're trying to remember? I mean, don't forget, the reason we have holidays at all is to commemorate something or to remember something. I mean, we remember that our mothers loved us and lived their lives for us. We remember that the veterans fought for us and gave lives for our freedom. We remember that Christ emptied himself on the cross, came to live with us so that we could know God and follow his example. I mean, what would you have to do? 
What would you have to invite your family to join you in doing if your holiday expression is going to be a true expression, a true remembrance of what Jesus did? I think it would have to involve some other people. I think it would require time. I think it would require giving more than just money. I think it would require concentrated attention. And I don't think it would probably come naturally to any of us. I mean, we'd have to get past ourselves. You might even have to get past your desire to create a warm, fuzzy Kodak moment at every event of the holiday season. Just maybe the only real thing you do to celebrate Christmas this year will be the self-giving, others-centered, loving and maybe time-consuming project you decide to take up right now that maybe no one else even knows about other than the recipient of your gift. Do you need specifics to carve out this kind of a remembrance? Do you need ideas to figure out how to celebrate a self-emptying Christmas? Fortunately, that's not my job. But if you ask the Holy Spirit, he will place the need in front of you. I guarantee it. The minute you start to say, Lord, show me how I can remember what you did in this holiday season, he will begin to populate your mind with faces and situations where you can make a difference at some level. You may not be able to resolve the whole situation, but you can speak a word or create some type of action that will make an honest difference in a self-emptying kind of way. I mean, there are needy folks everywhere. Pain is not in short supply. Loneliness is abundant, even in our own church. Those kinds of actions, these kinds of self-emptying actions, invite the presence of Jesus into our own lives. I mean, you know that when we express ourselves by meeting the needs of the suffering, the lonely, those in need of grace and comfort, Jesus is always present. He always is. I mean, we already know he's told us, when you do this for the least of these brothers of mine, you do it for me, right? We know those words. And we know that when we do these kinds of things, that Jesus is present with us. In that first passage, Jesus is by Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. And he looks out across the city which he knows is going to fall on hard times. What? 40 years from now be destroyed. 70 AD, temple demolished. And he weeps over the city he loves and the people he loves. And he says, ah, oh, if you only knew 
the pathway that leads to peace. He knows the pathway Jerusalem has chosen. He knows their pathway is going to lead them to destruction. That's where they're headed. Their choices are leading them there. He says, if you only knew what leads to peace. And Jesus is preparing to walk those steps, isn't he? The pathway that leads to peace is the pathway that leads to a cross. It leads to acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And, and, he, and he tells them in the very next sentence why they're headed on the pathway to destruction. And what does he say? He says, you just didn't recognize the time of the coming of God. God came to you and you were clueless. The opportunity for peace was present. Didn't take him up on it. He came specifically to you. You missed it. If, if we're going to know peace this holiday, it will be because we recognize the coming of Christ to us. You know, in Advent, traditionally, we've often said we celebrate his first coming and we don't forget to celebrate his second coming. But there's a middle coming, isn't there? Jesus comes to the world in Bethlehem. Jesus will return for us on that great day. But in the meantime, Jesus comes into our lives. He renews us. He restores us. He brings us peace. He is our Prince of Peace. And if we're going to know the peace of God, we must personally experience his coming now to us. And when we invite him to come into our hearts, he will invite us to the same self-emptying he demonstrates to us that we can honestly care for the people he loves. You want peace at Advent? Care for the people he loves. Find ways to invite your family into activities of giving and compassion to those who are most in need. And Jesus attends those activities and we will know his presence in the season. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. We must be careful not to miss the time of the coming of God into our hearts. I want to pray with you this morning. It may be, it may be that there are some individuals here this morning who have never experienced this middle coming, who have never invited Jesus to enter their lives and to transform their lives and to be their Lord. And if you've never done that, while I pray this morning, I would invite you to do that. I would invite you to very specifically say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, come to my heart. Forgive me for the ways I've tried to live myself by myself and help me to follow you. And he will enter and he will accompany you and walk with you and show you a new direction in life. So I would encourage you while I'm praying to do that, but for all of us, but for all of us, let us resolve to make this season of Advent and Christmas reflect the original, that we can know the pathway of peace. Let's pray together.
Gracious Jesus, we cannot begin to thank you for the magnificence of your gift to us. There are no words to describe our gratitude for your coming, for your self-emptying, for the lavish expression of your love for us that Bethlehem represents. And so we thank you this morning for your coming. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. And Lord, each of us today, we desire to have you live in our hearts. And so we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for the times we've fallen short and that you would enter our lives, that you would help us to follow you and to serve you as our Lord and Master. Renew us and change us that we might always live as your children. And grant, Lord, in the days ahead that the plans we make for observing Advent and Christmas this year would reflect the actual events that we might know your peace and that we might worship you in the beauty of holiness and in truth and integrity. This is our prayer in the name of Christ. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord, for he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy. Christ the Lord. And now may the true light which has come into the world light your pathway this day and always to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.